0: If you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bible to that passage in Isaiah chapter 24. Navigate on your device. It's always great to follow along and to ask the Lord to speak to you from the Scripture directly. The topic we're going to find there, the despair unbelievers experience in the Great Tribulation, is illustrated by Isaiah saying, The mirth of the tambourine ceases, the noise of the jubilant ends, they shall not drink wine with a song, all joy is darkened, the Mirth of the Land is Gone. The title of our message, But Why is the Mirth Gone? Let's pray together. Father, we want to understand these words, Lord, as they were written to your people and to the Gentile nations of that era. Uh, but obviously, Lord, we want to make application to our own lives, not selfishly, Lord, but selflessly, so that we can serve you better, so that we can know you more, so that your love g- grips us, Lord, and fills our hearts, so that we begin to understand your amazing grace. And so, Lord, bring us through this passage uh, with a deep understanding of your love for us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, amen. Normally, I do not get involved in politics, but this time our state legislators have gone too far. California is going to ban Skittles candy. Legislation that passed the Assembly and is likely to pass the Senate will prohibit the manufacture, sale, or distribution of products containing red dye number three, titanium dioxide, potassium bromate, brominated vegetable oil, or propylparaben in the Golden State. And so go home afterwards, see if you have any of those things on the shelf. The uh, propylparaben police will be coming to your house. And that would include Skittles, also hot tamales, but nobody cares about hot tamales. <laughs> Not the kind you get on Christmas, the candy hot tamales. But. And so I would suggest that you stock up before you will no longer be able to taste the rainbow. I found myself thinking of rainbows and unicorns in verse 18 of chapter 24 in Isaiah. Because he said, the windows from on high are open... And the foundations of the earth are shaken. That reminded me of a passage in Genesis. There we read in the 600th year of, the, uh, of Noah's life, rather, in the second month, the 17th day of the month. On that day, all the fountains of the deep were open, and the windows of heaven were opened. And so, similar language is used to describe the Bible's two global judgments: the windows of heaven. First, the global flood then the future great tribulation. I went back through chapter 24 and noticed a few more subtle references or tie-ins to Noah. For example, we'll see Isaiah mentions global destruction by fire. Uh, this reminds us that God promised Noah he would never destroy the earth by flood again, not by water. And then Peter, in his epistles, he uh, draws heavily from the flood account and talks about how we will be judged by fire, and God's going to burn up this world one day and create a new heaven and a new earth, new heavens and a new earth. Uh, Then Isaiah 24, 21 reads in part, the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones. These, we'll see, are supernatural beings who deserve special punishment. In the days of Noah, there were supernatural beings who deserve special punishment, and we read in the little book of Jude that they are now confined Uh, and incarcerated prematurely in a prison. And then there's this, in verse 5 of our chapter, we read that the human race has broken an everlasting covenant. 4,000 years ago, Noah and his passengers survived the global flood and exited the ark. God made a covenant with the human race, and we call it the Noahic covenant. I'll read it to you in Genesis 19. God says, it shall be when I bring a cloud over earth, that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Somebody needs to put that down on the Tulare Lake right now. Get a little plaque going. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And so the everlasting covenant Isaiah is talking about is the Noahic covenant, I believe. Now, Isaiah describes the time of Jacob's trouble, but he emphasizes Gentiles in this chapter, non-Jews. Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum writes, Isaiah will show the reason that the Great Tribulation comes upon the Gentile world as well and describe the consequences upon the Gentiles. The Noahic covenant is in part the righteous basis for God holding Gentiles accountable for sin. During that awful day, I'll organize my comments around two points. Number one, you haven't a song without Jesus. And number two, you have to sing if you are in Jesus. Let's Take a look at those without song as the chapter begins. Now, Isaiah definitely prophesying about the future great tribulation. The language he chooses throughout is extreme global in its scope. Ordinarily, we like to use the name Jeremiah gave those seven years. He called them the time of Jacob's trouble because it captures the primary purpose of those years, which is to bring surviving Israel, the nation of Israel, to salvation in Jesus Christ uh, so that God can keep all of his uh, conditional and unconditional promises to them. Now, having said that, I'll probably mostly call it the Great Tribulation today because, as we'll see, Isaiah's emphasis is on the Gentile world. Uh, he's telling us why Gentiles are, are also uh, being judged at this time. It's not collateral damage. It's not that they just happen to be there. They also deserve judgment. Uh, Gentiles who suffer during that awful future time uh, n- will have violated the Noahic covenant, as we'll see. And so verse 1 Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty, makes it waste, distorts its surface, and scatters abroad its inhabitants. Isaiah wastes no time in setting the tone for his remarks. He's telling us about the terrible time that was coming upon the whole earth. Jesus remarked about it, and he said, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. Those incredible years are described in detail in chapters 6 through 18 in the last book of the Bible. Verse 2, And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so will the debtor. This is telling us that at all, every spectrum and at each end of it, God's judgment will be universal, having zero respect for socioeconomic status. Uh, This isn't a judgment on the poor that only affects the poor or only affects the rich or whatever. This is a global time when everyone is suffering the consequences of sin. Verse 3, the land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. Entirely emptied means depopulated. Uh, And if you read the book of the Revelation, you find that over 50% of the world's population is dead. By the time Jesus Christ returns, and that's uh, what, like four billion people today. If this was going on today, I mean, it's it's incredible. We have little idea of the scope of the Great Tribulation. Uh, you know, we watch disaster movies, or we see limited disasters in our own backyard, whether they're earthquakes or tornadoes and other. Think of the worst disaster that you've ever personally witnessed or seen on television or whatever. That's going to be the entire planet. And every inhabited area. Uh, there won't be any such thing as emergency services. I, I mean, it, the, the, the earth is just going to get bludgeoned. Um, verse 4, the earth mourns and it fades away. The world languages and fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. Uh, and so this is a favorite word, I guess, of Isaiah's. Languishing means wilting away, weak and feeble. It's telling us that there's no strength to resist this, uh, nowhere to run to, nowhere to hide. People are just going to be in real trouble. Verse 5, the earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Now, uh, it, it isn't just this physical uh, judgments that are coming on the world. God says they've already defiled the human race by breaking my covenant. They've changed the ordinance and, and, and all. And the covenant that all the inhabitants of the earth are chub, uh, subject to breaking is the Noahic covenant. Now the Jews who study these things, they have identified seven universal laws that Gentiles ought to obey from the Noahic covenant. Uh, and and uh, they go like this don't worship idols, don't curse God, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery or sexual immorality, don't steal, don't eat flesh torn from a living animal, and do establish courts of justice. And so that is the standard by which Gentiles are to be judged in the Great Tribulation. According to modern Jewish interpreting, non-Jews are not obligated to convert to Judaism. They're required to observe these seven laws Of Noah. And so we would ask, well, is this Noahic covenant still in effect? Well, technically yes, because God said it was an everlasting covenant. And something that's everlasting lasts for how long? Ever, right? Lasting ever. Uh, There was no nation of Israel when Noah exited the ark. God would later choose Abraham to father them. They received four covenants of their own the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. All the elements of the Noahic covenant are included in those. They they are kind of folded into it. And so you say, well, are the Jews still under that covenant? Well, technically, yeah, but they're already keeping it by by the things that are in these other covenants. Unsaved Gentiles are still subject to the Noahic covenant as a measure of righteousness. Most of the world is guilty, even now, of breaking or changing all seven laws. You could focus in just on the don't commit adultery or, and sexual immorality. We live in, in an age of blatant breaking of God's laws, uh, the laws of nature, uh, the laws of, of morality. Uh, and, you know, and so you can see how God could certainly hold everyone accountable for these things. And so that's, that's what's going on here. They have defiled the earth, it says, changed the ordinance and broken the everlasting covenant. Now, the church, we were born on the day of Pentecost, which came 50 days after Jesus' resurrection from the grave and the ascension into heaven. Today's kind of our birthday, right? Isn't Today's Pentecost, right? It's Pentecost Sunday. Happy birthday, church. Who brought the cake? Uh, so anyway... Uh, We are a unique group of people in the Lord's plan for redeeming and restoring all things. We are a mystery revealed in the New Testament, not found in the Old Testament, the Church of Jesus Christ. We have not replaced Israel. The covenants God made with Abraham's physical descendants are still in effect. And we are obviously not unsaved Gentiles who need to go through the Great Tribulation in order to be judged. Summing this up over simply, David Larson writes, The great promises of Messiah were given to Israel, and Jesus came through Israel. but Gentile believers have become the joyful beneficiaries of them without any loss whatever of them, uh, their final fulfillment uh, to Israel during a literal thousand year reign of Christ on the earth so in other words we haven 't taken the the covenants over, but there are uh, areas of the covenants that extend to us as the church, like Uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, And so God says there's Jews, there's Gentile unbelievers, and there's the church. And his plan is a little bit different for each one of them. We all get saved the same way, uh, but he deals with us a little bit differently uh, in different dispensations. And so we're in the church age, the church dispensation, and um, we have not replaced Israel, and we're not unsaved Gentiles. And so verse six, therefore the curse has devoured the earth and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men are left. Fire is a frequent uh, phrase here in the last seven years of the revelation. uh, You know, when you're dealing with the tribulation, it says here, few men are left matches nicely with Jesus' description of the great tribulation. He said, if those days had not been shortened, no one would survive. Could be that, he means we, they restricted those days to seven years, not one day more. Otherwise, the human race would have been in real trouble. Or it could be that the Lord is going to come back a little bit before the end of that seven years so that we don't destroy ourselves. At any rate, when, we talk, when people in the world talk about the end of the world, uh, that's not a real district, description of what's going to happen. The world doesn't end. Uh, the world is actually saved by the return of Jesus Christ. There's a potential that the world could have ended. We, we, you know, everybody could have pushed the button, as we would put it today, and wiped us out. That is not going to happen. The revelation is what's going to happen. The, the tribulation is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come and save the human race and bring believers uh, Jewish and Gentile into the time of the thousand-year kingdom on the earth. So uh, the, the world is not going to end. You might even use that as a, a way of talking to people. If somebody says to you about the end of the world, they say, hey, you know, I, I used to think the world was going to end too, but it's actually going to be saved by Jesus. And then you can go on from there. Um, we are not those who dwell on the earth. We're the church, the bride of Christ. Jesus promised the church in Philadelphia, the one in Turkey, not Pennsylvania. Uh, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from. And that means out of, not safe through. You'll be kept out of the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. That's the great tribulation. This cannot be a promise unique to one first century church. Otherwise, the Philadelphians would be in heaven while the rest of the church was left on earth. And so the Lord's not saying, you guys in Philadelphia have a special promise for you. You're not going through the tribulation. These other six bums are. Uh, that, that can't happen. And so we are promised, the church has promised not to go through that time. People like to say, people who take a different approach to this, they like to say that the church needs to be purified or made ready to see Jesus. Listen carefully to these words of Jesus talking about his bride in the book of Ephesians. He said, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. How are we purified? We are purified by the washing of the water of the word. That's what Jesus is doing day by day right now in the lives of Christians. It is called sanctification. Uh, We are not purified as his bride by going through the fiery trial of the Great Tribulation. In fact, there is no reason for the church to be in the Great Tribulation. We have no purpose there whatsoever. Uh, For sure, every generation of Christians should expect persecution. Persecution is not the Great Tribulation. It's completely different. Verse 7, new wine fails, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourine ceases, the ju- noise of the jubilant ends, the joy of the harp ceases. They shall not drink wine with a song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. This is what I mean when I say they haven't a song. No date nights, no clubbing, no save the dates, no partying like it's the end of the world, no karaoke. The unsaved will have an impending sense of doom. They'll make bitter beer face, as it says here in verse 9, right? Strong drink is bitter. Who remembers? I think it was Keystone Beer, bitter beer face. It was an ad campaign. You drink, and then the guy's face, like that, you know? Like a little visual for you here. No, never mind. But anyway. So, I mean, they're, uh, they're not going to be able to turn to alcohol to numb their pain, is one of the things that this is about. There is not going to be that kind of mirth. Yeah. some of you have been drunk, some of you maybe are drunks, but, uh, you know, I was a drunk, uh, and, and the thing is, you know, there's a, everybody saying, oh, it's so fun and happy to be a drunk, you know, and so oh, you start singing beer songs and all of that kind of thing, and, and uh, they, it's always portrayed as such a wonderful thing, um, and, and then you go out and you get into your car and you kill a family that uh, it hasn't been drinking, uh, and, um, you know, it's, wow, what just happened? Uh, and so the, you're going to be able to kill your pain with drinking in that, those days. It, it'd just be over. Uh, and so uh, no song. Uh, you know, you find out your source of joy pretty quickly when some great trouble comes upon you. Death, disease, disaster, uh, that's what we all face as human beings, some more than others. And they reveal what's in the heart. We can prepare. Uh, we don't know exactly what's coming. But we can prepare by spending time with the Lord, just building up our faith in Him, turning to Him, uh, learning that He is our source and sufficiency, so that when something does happen, when, we like to say, it happens, uh, you you know that the Lord is your refuge and your strength. Your your foundation uh, is sure. Maybe you're swaying a little bit on top of it, but your foundation is sure because Jesus is the rock. Verse 10, the city of confusion, that means the desolate city, is broken down, every house is shut up so that none may go in. There's a cry for wine in the streets, all joy is darkened, the mirth of the land is gone. In the city, desolation is left, and the gate is stricken with destruction. Babylon makes the most sense in the context uh, in terms of what city he's talking about. That's the great city in the book of the Revelation that's going to be destroyed before the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, Verse 13, when it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree, like the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. The people here are uh, surviving Gentiles. This is saying that there will be a remnant only of people left on the earth by the time the shaking is done. uh, They will be held accountable under the everlasting Noahic covenant. We often mention that God has a testimony of himself to everyone on earth in creation and in conscience, creation declares the glory of God. You're born with a conscience of good versus evil. All of that tells you that there is a creator. And the Bible says that if we seek after him, uh, he will find us. We will find him. Uh, we could add to that that there is the uh, Noahic covenant. Uh, those who study creation, the uh, scientists and, and uh, scholars, they say that most cultures in the world have a flood story. Uh, Now, it's the flood story, but they've changed it to accommodate themselves. And uh, so we know that the the universal global flood that most people believed in for centuries uh, has its own testimony of a God who judged the world for its sin and then started over again. So there's a lot of testimony on the earth and even in the heavens above uh, in in terms of uh, people finding the Lord. And so uh, he gives us light. And if you will follow that light, he will lead you to salvation. Skip to the end of verse 16, please. We'll come back. But I said I am ruined, ruined. Woe to me, the treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Indeed, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. The inhabitants of Tribulation Earth worship the Antichrist, which essentially is worshiping Satan. They take on his characteristics, and one of them is treachery. You tend to become like whatever it is you idolize. And in this case, uh, for whatever reason, uh, Isaiah thinks, hey, this is the word that is going to really bring out what goes on in those days. Uh, Verse 17, fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. Again, the inhabitants of the earth. It's a unique group of people. There's several unique groups in the book of the Revelation. There's uh, the inhabitants of the earth. There's the nation of Israel. There are martyrs, uh, tribulation martyrs. We'll see in a minute there's 144,000. There are two witnesses. What there isn't is the church, never mentioned in the book of the Revelation after chapter 4 until you get to the end of the book. Um, You would never call the church those who dwell on the earth. Um, You know, that'd be like, you know, because it's Jesus' bride betrothed it'd be like saying of your uh, you know engaged individual so that's that's my old lady over there you know you you, just, you wouldn't do that would you <laughs> and it shall be he that flees from the nose uh, nose from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit he who comes up from the midst of the pit shall be caught in the snare the windows from on high are open and the foundations of the earth are shaken the earth is violently broken the earth is split open The earth is shaken exceedingly. So this is all telling us this happens in California, along the San Andreas Fault. That's not true. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall totter like a hut, job of the hut. Uh, Its transgression shall be heavy upon it and it will fall and not rise again. Uh, And so there's going to be, there's no way out, nowhere to go, nowhere to hide. Uh, A disaster film I watched a few years ago about that tsunami that came in and, and killed so many people, uh, showed one of the families that you know, they saw what was coming, and they just stood there holding hands. They said, we might as well just stand here and wait for it because it's going to kill us. We can't, we, we can't run from it. You hear about survivalists making their plans or the wealthy having, you know, retreats to run to up in the Appalachian Mountains and stuff. And that's okay for localized disasters. I'm not saying you shouldn't prepare, you know, have a couple of cans of soup and a case of Skittles on hand, you know. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, you can trade with Skittles, but anyway, hot tamales, not so much. But anyway, um, or some of that sweet parabens, hey, I got banned in California. But uh, anyway, uh, you might as well just stay put in the Great Tribulation because it's going to get you whatever it is, whether it's an earthquake or fire from heaven or the sun scorching you, there's no place to hide. There will be one exception. The Jews fleeing from the wrath of the Antichrist in the Holy Land are going to be safe Supernaturally protected, we think they go to the rock fortress of Petra and are kept safe by the Lord. Verse 21, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones and on the earth, the kings of the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit, be shut up in the prison. After many days, they will be punished. The host of exalted ones are supernatural beings. They are involved with the kings of the earth. We've seen before how the Bible describes evil, malevolent, fallen, satanic, supernatural creatures that influence the Gentile nations of the earth. You've got to keep that in mind as you're surveying the chaos in the world. You and I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, unless we're told like sometimes we are in the Bible. But you know that behind the scenes of all human government, there is superhuman government. There is warfare, uh, spiritual warfare between, you know, God's forces and the forces of evil. Uh, and so you look at places like the Ukraine or the, the United States border or other skirmishes or anything that's weird is going on in the world. And you think, you know, it's something, there's something spiritual about that. The devil has moves and God has counter moves. Uh, and we just need to w- do what we are supposed to do. And that is share the gospel. Isaiah said they will be punished, uh, these particular angels, by incarceration uh, that's what happened to certain uh, evil angels in Noah's day. They are awaiting a time of judgment, uh, but they are already incarcerated, uh, unlike other uh, demons and fallen angels. You know, there's that one episode in, uh, where Jesus casts out legion, you know, from the, uh, and, and they want to go into the pigs, and they say, look, send us anywhere, Be, you know, don't judge us before the time. Indicating that there is, they knew that there's a time coming when God will judge evil angels. But some of them are already in prison. And that's what uh, Isaiah says as well. And so there's always these little tie-ins to Noah here. Now let's pause to remember that the time of Jacob's trouble will also feature the greatest global evangelistic effort ever. There will be 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, protected and provided for by God to preach the everlasting gospel there will also be two witnesses who, for a time, are invincible. They will preach the gospel to the whole earth, and a mighty angel will fly through the heavens preaching the gospel to the whole earth. You ever, like a few years ago, something was, things go by, you know, at night and say, oh look, you know, there's a, one of, uh, there's a Tesla, you know, going by, or one of Elon Musk, you know, you out and stuff. imagine you're just, hey, there's some big angel flying through the sky preaching the gospel. And that's going to happen. So pretty effective gospel preaching in those days. Millions upon millions, we hope, will be saved. You know who isn't named preaching the gospel to the whole earth during that time? The church. And that's strange to me because what did Jesus say in Matthew? He gave us the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So where are we? We're not there. Because we're done with our gospel preaching. We're in heaven. Uh, Second here this morning... In the remaining verses, you have to sing if you're in Jesus. No joy, no wine, no mirth. We read about that. But wait, we hear something in verse 14. They lift up their voice. They sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from the sea. Now, we know this isn't in eternity. This isn't after the great tribulation. Because the revelation tells us that there will be no more sea in that time. This isn't praise in heaven. It's on earth. During that dark, deadly hour. Verse 15, therefore glorify the Lord in the dawning light. The name of the Lord God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we have heard songs, glory to the righteous. I have a piece of advice for you whenever you find yourself in trouble. Maybe you're in the midst of a trial. Everything is closing in upon you. You see no way out. You feel paralyzed. You're just in that spot maybe. Some of you are like that today. I've been there. If you haven't been there, just wait. You will be. What kind of advice do we normally give an individual like that? We pray with them, and we encourage them to spend time in prayer seeking the Lord. We find scripture, and we encourage them to uh, meditate on it and just to read the word. You know what else we should do? We should tell them to sing. It's unusual. I don't think that many people do that. I, myself included, I can't remember. You know, say, people come in for counseling. Say, well, hey, so what's your problem? Okay, let's sing together. Okay. Uh, probably counseling load would go way down. You know, yeah. how was it? Uh, we sang. What, what? We sang a bunch of songs. Do you feel better? Uh-huh. <laughs> but you were, So, but yeah, that's it's true. It's absolutely true. Sing, sing, praise songs. We tell believers to do all these other things, but the apostle Paul commanded, and he said, "Speak to one another how in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord." And so we're to, uh, you know, have a melodious relationship with one another, uh, and maybe you know, see the church more as a musical than a dr- the tragedy or a you know comrom or whatever you know stuff, and just really get into it paul walked that walk in philippi falsely imprisoned deep in the dank dreary dark disagreeable daunting depressing disheartening disgusting dungeon we read of paul and silas that at midnight they were praying and what singing hymns to god and the prisoners were listening to them and so this seems to be a regular part of Paul's life. Do you ever, I don't know if you think about Paul the Apostle, the little ugly Apostle with the nose and his eyes, you know, are just all diseased and he's, you know, he's not, nothing to listen to. You, you think you can't sing? Can you imagine that guy? I mean, he didn't all of a sudden have a golden voice. He wasn't going to win, you know, American Idol or anything, you know. You see some of these people and you think, oh, that person can't have any talent. And oh, they're like the frog in that, you know, in those car- cartoons that we can't watch anymore. Uh, but anyway, so I um, know I was talking about something here for a minute. Oh, so Paul, he's he's down in this dungeon, you know, and, and he's singing. He says, hey, we're all prayed out. Now let's sing. You know, let's we share the word with each other. Now we're going to sing and uh, just see what happens with that. And he didn't do it to get out of prison. He didn't do it because of technique. I mean, he did it because that's what he did. And Paul said he prayed all the time for people, that he didn't cease to pray for those that he knew. And I think he sang an awful lot as well, and so should we. Now, maybe you're not a good singer. He wasn't. I'm going to guess he wasn't a good singer, like I said. And so I'm not saying that you go to work tomorrow and start belting out tunes, you know. But build up to it. And I know... Uh, in Lemoore at the police department, I, I didn't know I was doing it, but I would whistle as I'd walk down the hall. And then one day somebody, oh, here comes the chaplain. He's wh- I heard you from down the hall whistling. The good thing I'm not whistling Stairway to Heaven, you know, I mean, I, wh- you know, I was whistling a Christian song, probably. I like to sing. I'm a frustrated rock artist, and so are you, most of you guys, you know. <laughs> you know, you've, you've, you 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 think you could have made it as a rock and roll superstar, but, you know. It, it, you better chance of being a quarterback in the NFL. But anyway, uh, and so we sometimes sing. You sing secular songs. I'm not saying you can't listen to or sing secular songs. I mean, whenever Hotel California comes on, I mean, we, everybody, that's the law, right? It's it, you know, in California, no paraben. But at the same time, if this song comes on, you have to listen to it. And so, yeah, I like that song. Uh, but, you know, we, we can build this area of our lives. We can, we can become better at singing. Not for the congregation, not as a choir, but just as employing song as a part of our life before the Lord. That actually is a testimony to others. And so think about that, pray about that. Maybe you need to be set free in that area. Verse 23, then the moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. And so the sun and the moon are going to be ashamed because of the brilliance of Jesus. He's, he puts them to shame. Uh, you know, it's like it's like somebody, maybe they show, oh, look at my engagement ring. Oh, yeah, I have the hope diamond. That's my engagement ring. I have to have a special, you know, uh, platform on my hand for it. But uh, that's the difference here. Elders are in heaven, mentioned no less than 12 times in the revelation. There are 24 of them. Pre-trib commentators go to great lengths to try and prove they are the resurrected raptured church in heaven. But I can't think of any place really that identifies them as that. It's all done by argument. Because the church, uh, you know, the church does have elders, but it also has pastors and evangelists and deacons. Israel had elders as well. Uh, and there's nothing to identify these guys. I think they're just supernatural beings who hang out before the throne like the cherubim and others. Uh, Now, the church will absolutely be resurrected and raptured and be in heaven before, uh, you know, the great tribulation, but that doesn't mean that they are the 24 elders. I think they're not. Have you ever been chastened or chastised rather, by a pastor or worship leader about not worshiping with enough exuberance? I find it offensive, don't you? It's an ugly thing. You know, it's like, I just want to pray. People! jesus died for you he rose from the dead and you can barely get out of bed and and, you know just like we're gonna sing that again i want to hear you you're not gonna be able to hear me because i'll be in the parking lot by then you know (laughs) hey i don't know what's in a person's heart i don't know why some people don't sing in the congregation i'll tell you something about myself I don't sing as much as I used to because my voice, I I don't have the voice I used to have with all the things that are going on in my life. And so I can't afford to sing the way I want to, uh, you know, here on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night uh, because I need to save up. And so, you know, judge me all you want. I'm just kidding. So that's out. That is all of that. We will never do that. We don't want to do that. We're not going to do that. But having said that, I am suggesting again that you do more singing on your own. David, the great warrior king, the man after God's own heart, the slayer of Goliath. Wow. He wrote in Psalm 119, seven times a day, I praise you. One commentator wrote, didn't matter if he was in the middle of a press conference or the State of the Union address or a photo op. They knew that at any moment, this crazy guitar playing king would grab the kinnor and begin to whirl and dance and praise the Lord. Now, I don't know if that's an exaggeration. I doubt it. I think David loved to sing, don't you? I mean, he's out writing these hymns and and psalms of praise out in the wilderness, you know. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament and all that. What is man that thou art mindful of him? You know, I I see him walking down the halls of, of, uh, you know, his palace and say, hey, I'm working on this lyric. Can you give me a hand? Cleanse my hands, oh Lord. I don't know if I like that one. Uh, Oh, it's great. They're going to sing it in the 21st century, Uh, you know. But uh, David, he sang a lot and And so, really, I just thought uh, you know i'm all over the i it's a simple thing, right? Sing, do it- and you know it's, it, it, usually when you sing it's it's joyous, right? Happy birthday can it, It's lost its joy for me because I have to pay royalties now, but uh you know it, it's whenever we sing it's usually, i mean, there are laments, there are you know dirges and stuff like that, but normally when your heart begins to sing it's because you uh, have joy, right. And what more joy could we have than to be uh, the Lord's, uh, to be in Christ, to be, to know that to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, that our body that might be put in the ground will raise from the dead into a glorious heavenly body, and that we who are alive and remain will be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, right? Uh, The Lord is so good, he's worthy of our praise, and you know what, we don't have time to go into it, but... Uh, Their scripture says that God also sings to you. He sings over you. And so if God, the creator of the universe, sings to you, like a parent singing to its child lullabies or whatever, uh, how much more we should be motivated to sing back to him.